Philemon is the shortest book in the Bible. It is a short letter from Paul, who is in jail, to a guy named Philemon. Philemon was a member of the church in Colossae. Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, who ran away and met Paul in Rome, where Paul was imprisoned. Paul witnessed to him and he became a Christian. This is interesting because Rome is a big place. Did Onesimus go there looking for Paul? Or maybe Onesimus got in some trouble in the big city and just happened to get thrown in jail as Paul's neighbor. However it happened, Paul, uh, God put Onesimus in the right place at the right time. He met Paul, and Paul led him to Jesus. Slavery was common in the Roman Empire. It was part of the economic system, and it was part of the culture. But not only in Rome, and it was nothing new. We read about it in the book of Genesis. Abraham acquired a slave woman in Egypt for his wife, Sarah. The woman was named Hagar. Sarah couldn't conceive, so she told Abraham to sire a child through Hagar so they could have an heir. Abraham didn't argue. A boy was born, and his name was Ishmael. When Ishmael was a teenager, Sarah had a son, as God had promised. His name was Isaac. Sarah and Hagar had been at odds since before Ishmael was born. Now that Isaac was born, Ishmael was no longer considered to be the one who would inherit the wealth of Abraham. Sarah told Abraham to tell Hagar and Ishmael to hit the road. They did. Ishmael grew up to become the patriarch of all the Arabs. For thousands of years now, the Arabs and the Jews had been at odds with each other. More than 600 years after the birth of Jesus, Muhammad came along. The Muslims claim Ishmael as their patriarch. Now they are against not only the Jews, but against the Christians and everybody else. In Genesis 16:12, an angel of the Lord told Hagar her son would be a wild man, and his hand would be against every man, and, and every man's hand would be against him. And so it is today. If Abraham and Sarah had waited for God's blessing instead of impregnating their slave girl, the history of the world would be different. Then we look at Abraham's grandson, Jacob, later known as Israel. He made a deal with his future father-in-law to marry the woman he loved in exchange for working for seven years. He became an indentured servant. It is like temporary slavery. We do something similar when we sign the contract for a loan. When we want to buy something we can't pay for, like a house or a $40,000 pickup. On the night of the wedding, his father-in-law made a switch. Maybe Jacob had too much to drink at the wedding feast. And it was dark. But when he woke up, he found he had consummated marriage to the sister of the woman he loved. 
His father-in-law explained it was a custom to marry off the older daughter before the younger one. He made a new marriage contract for the younger one, the one Jacob loved. Jacob was to work for him another seven years, though he could have her as his wife after seven days of marriage with the first wife. And so it was. The older sister was the first to have a baby that started the competition between sisters for the love of old man Jacob. Each wanted to have more babies than the other. They couldn't conceive fast enough, but each of the sisters had a slave girl. They pulled the slaves into the contest. I guess Jacob was okay with that because he was the one who got them pregnant. As each slave girl had a baby, that baby counted for the owner of that slave. So with four women competing after a while, they had 12 sons altogether. The youngest of those 12 was Joseph. He was daddy's favorite because he was the firstborn of the woman Jacob loved. Jacob was open in showing everybody who his favorite son was. Joseph's older brothers were jealous they didn't like their little brother. One day, through a series of circumstances, they decided to get rid of their little brother, who was only 17 years old. They threw him in a pit. They talked about killing him. Their brother Judah said there was no profit in killing him. They could sell him as a slave. By the way, Judah is listed in the lineage of Jesus hundreds of years later. They sold Joseph into slavery at the age of 17. They led their father to believe Joseph had been killed and eaten by a wild animal. God was with Joseph. Through a series of events, at the age of 30, that slave became the vice president of Egypt. He put a 20% tax to be paid in agricultural products on every farmer in Egypt. Most everybody was a farmer. They paid the tax for seven years with bumper crops every year. They might not have complained because they produced way more than they needed. The tax took 20% of grain off the market. That surplus would have driven the down the price of grain if they had tried to sell then came the famine. Nothing grew for the farmers. They didn't have surplus grain because they had given it to the government. As the king's executive officer, Joseph, sold them what they needed from the seven years of surplus he had stored in the government's grain elevators. That worked for the first year of famine. In the second year of famine, the people had no money because they had no farm income and they had given their money to the king in the first year of famine. So Joseph accepted all their livestock as payment for more grain from government storage. That's how it went in the second year of famine. In the third year of famine, the farmers were still broke. They had no money and no livestock. They offered the government all their land, which wasn't producing anyway, so the government would feed them. So everybody was on welfare. 
Joseph took the land to, to, for the king and administered their food stamp program while all the people lived on property that now belonged to the government. This was the way it was until the famine ended. After the famine ended, the people went back to work, but now they were all sharecroppers working government land to raise crops. The king's government took 20% of the proceeds, leaving the farmers enough to get by on. They weren't growing bumper crops like they did in the seven fat years. They didn't own any property. They had to work for the king in order to eat. They were slaves. Joseph had come to Egypt as a 17-year-old slave, and now he was 44 years old, and thanks to Joseph, everybody in Egypt was a slave to the king. Everybody but his own family, but that would change. In Exodus 12, 40, it says the Israelites were in Egypt for 430 years. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says they were slaves there for 400 years. So the first 30 years in Egypt, they weren't slaves. They had arrived in, in Egypt at the invitation of Joseph and the Pharaoh, the king. The king welcomed them as the family of Joseph, his executive officer. They came with their own livestock and were given land to live on. They were given the job of taking care of the king's livestock. Remember, the king now owned all the livestock that used to belong to all those Egyptian farmers. Joseph's family was set for life, or at least as long as Joseph was the king's right-hand man. Apparently, that was only uh, for another 30 years. At that time, Joseph was about 70 years old. Maybe that generous old king died. Then the next in line wasn't so fond of this foreigner who was second in command. Maybe at 70, Joseph was forced into retirement. He lived 110 years. His last 40 years saw his family living in slavery. If the Israelites had stayed in Canaan all those years, they would have been assimilated into the polytheistic culture of those pagans who lived around them. Instead, they were slaves in Egypt. They were segregated from the Egyptians because the Egyptians wanted nothing to do with those sheep herders. God had them in cultural isolation there. He prepared them for 400 years so he could make them into the people he wanted them to be. He wanted their nation to be the foundation for the prophets and the future Messiah. Fast forward to the New Testament. Paul was in prison. In the first verse of Philemon, Paul wrote he was a prisoner for Jesus. In that verse and the next, Paul addresses his letter to Philemon and also to Aphia and Archippus and to the church in the house of Philemon. The commentary in my Bible says Aphia was possibly Philemon's wife and Archippus was possibly his son. That may be so, but the Bible doesn't say that. Even though the context of the letter lets us know Paul is speaking to Philemon, it is addressed to those other people and to the whole church. It may be that Paul wants everyone in that church to be invited to persuade Philemon to give mercy to Onesimus. 
Therefore, he sends that open letter. Paul is saying good things about Philemon for this reason. He had high expectations for Philemon. He knows Philemon is a slave owner. Paul doesn't condemn him for that. Paul wants him to see the big picture beyond the economic system of the Roman Empire. Onesimus is now Philemon's brother in Christ. Philemon is somewhat new in the faith, having been brought to Jesus by Paul. Philemon is now Paul's brother in Christ and is host to a church that beats in his home. Philemon may be risking the welfare of his family in doing so, but compared to Paul, he is living a comfortable life. Paul is in prison. Philemon is living in comfort at home where he has enough wealth to need slaves to help him take care of it. We don't know why Onesimus was not already a believer since he was a slave uh, a believer. Maybe that master-slave relationship was what kept him from believing in the God his master believed in. But the Holy Spirit brought him through all that when Paul led him to Jesus. Paul is letting Philemon know that forgiving Onesimus is the right thing to do for a brother in Christ. Paul doesn't want to command Philemon to do this, but appeals to him as a brother in Christ. Paul says to Philemon to accept Onesimus in the same way he would accept Paul. Paul tells Philemon that if Onesimus owes anything to him, to put it on Paul's account. We don't know how Paul was to pay it because Paul is in prison. It's the thought that counts. Paul reminds Philemon that Philemon owes him his very life spiritually. If Paul hadn't led him to Jesus, he would be dead in his sins. Paul says not to mention it, though Paul mentions it. Paul is confident that Philemon will do the right thing as a brother in Christ. The story of Onesimus is similar in some ways to the story of a young man named John Mark. Onesimus was a runaway slave. John Mark was a runaway missionary. Paul defended Onesimus in his letter to Philemon. Years before that, Barnabas defended John Mark against Paul. Paul was disappointed with John Mark because he had whipped out going home to Mama, instead of continuing on a missionary journey with Paul. Later, when Barnabas wanted to let his cousin John Mark join Paul and Barnabas on another mission trip, Paul refused. Paul and Barnabas went separate ways. Barnabas took John Mark with him. Paul took Silas with him. Both pairs did useful mission work for God. Over the next 10 years, John Mark was mentored by Peter as he served with him. John Mark was also reconciled with Paul. Paul wanted John Mark with him in his last days. John Mark was also known as Mark. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. The historical record, not the Bible record, tells us that Onesimus was forgiven by Philemon and served God as a church pastor. He was later 
the bishop of the church in Ephesus.